Welcome everyone in a new episode of the V Superheroes. Hey guys, how are you? Woohoo! That's Party. always perfect. Ah, that's yeah. uh, perfect. And we have uh, we have a guest that, uh, that is joining us today. Welcome Eric to the podcast. Thank you, uh, Stein. It's for the first time you're here. Uh, first time I'm here. First time I'm taking part in podcast. And I must say that I'm a bit impressed by all the cables on the table. Yeah, that's uh, something we. Uh, it's not wireless yet, so. Uh, so, uh, so Eric, maybe a quick introduction from your end might might be a good I- might be a good idea just to uh, to get a familiarized with the with the microphone and stuff and the cables. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So um, my name is uh, Eric David. I work for VMware as a pre-sales, and um, one of my hobby and center of interest is anything that has to do with cloud native mm-hmm. world. And that's uh, that's the subject of today. Is uh, well. Let's 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 begin with the beginning and let's make it a container 101. And I'm sure you can go to a 201, 301, 401. I think there is even a level that we don't understand where you can go to. So that's a uh, don't overestimate me. Ah, well, I, I'm just <laughs> learning myself, right? <laughs> but uh, you you you've you've become, you've started learning way before us. Yeah, I'm a slow learner. Right now we can st- you can cut the crap because <laughs> we all know that that is we, not we true. We saw your coding already, so, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, well, if if you show my coding to a real coder, I will say, uh, well, yeah, yeah, that's that's but, but in the back end, you're a system engineer, so yeah. Yes. Well, I've, I've I've seen Eric doing a, a demo on uh, in the VMUG in the Netherlands, uh, where it's, I think there was two hundred people, three hundred people in the room, maybe two hundred, somewhat. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, he said, everybody stop uploading, stop Instagramming. I'm now going to do a demo over 3G because the Wi-Fi is crap here. So I will now do my, my demo over 3G. And then he, he just he just did a demo on stage where, uh, yeah, it, yeah, just internet connectivity. But in the end, yeah, I would not take the risk. But uh, yeah. So I, um, I like to live on, like, living on the edge, mm-hmm. bleeding That's edge. That's for sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, Sometimes maybe a bit too much. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a risk you want to yeah. take, and I was glad I was in the audience and not on stage, <laughs> to be honest. So, but uh, Eric, uh, what's all the fuss about about the, the containers? Where, where, where is this? Um, where is this new world coming from, and why is this important for us? Well, the, the first thing I would like to mention is actually not a new world, right? It's an old world uh, that has been made accessible uh, several years ago. Uh, by a small company called Docker, you may have heard that, that just made it more accessible to, to everyone. And uh, <coughs> um, there are some specifics about the market that we operate in called Belgium and Luxembourg. We tend to take our time mm-hmm. to you know, leverage new technology. Mm-hmm. And um, definitely in enterprise companies, uh, I would say now is the time where it starts to really pop up and show up in in data center for production, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there there is a lot of traction for the moment because obviously uh, developers are leveraging it for quite some time and getting to learn it as well. But system admins operators now start to get those strange requests about mm-hmm. you know. Running or how, how providing did, a container platform. How did those developers do that before then? Because they didn't ask any questions then, or before we go there, can we take a step back? Because it's a VMware podcast. Not everybody that's listening to this podcast has an idea what a container is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of those people. <laughs> 
I'll just fake it for, for now <laughs> that I'm <laughs> one fine. of those people. Uh, just in short, wh what does it? What because we're already talking about the challenges uh, it it might have in the in the data center. What is it as compared to VM, as compared to a physical appliance, even if you want? So can you situate that just in a few words? I can try. Sure. Not sure I'm going to succeed, but basically it's um, when, when discussing all of that. The, the, the central part is applications, right? Uh, and and all business operates based on applications. You need to provide those applications, you need to deploy them, maintain them. The challenge with writing application is you write some code, but to make that code work, you actually leverage underlying frameworks, libraries, dependencies, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like as we are in pre-sales, we all have to write emails and, and write, you know, RFP answers. We'll use you know, Outlook, Word, etc. These have dependencies on libraries on the operating system. Hence, have you tried running two instances of Outlook, mm. like mm. 216 mm. and 2.10, whatever. Next to each other, it's not going to fly well, right? Because of cross dependencies. So you want to isolate your application and its dependency in a kind of bubble mm -hmm. that makes it portable. And so the, the concept of container is kind of that approach of packaging that application and its dependencies so that it's portable. And that is like a um, like um, there's a word for that. It's like um, a fancy zip file, basically, <laughs> because it's a zip file with everything in there. Uh, that makes it portable. Mm -hmm. And uh, then there's some isolation aspects like making sure that that process cannot see other container processes so that you don't have conflicts in there. Um, and, and, and at file system as well and, and networking ports. Right? And that makes it easy to actually package the software and its dependency and test it on your laptop. Mm -hmm. Oh, it works, then I can ship you that packaging and it should work on your platform as well. Okay. Normally, size should also be very small because actually it does not include the operating system. Uh, you could see containers as mini VMs. Micro VMs then, perhaps. But there are definitely some uh, fundamental difference between VMs and containers at the level of isolation that you can uh, offer. Uh, there are some so similarities let, let, let as me, well. Let me rephrase my question. One thing we do very well is, is virtualize, and the common operating system is then vSphere, ESX. Um, you package a virtual machine with its own operating system within a virtual machine, so it has portability as long as you have the common hypervisor layer. What's the main difference then with containers? Is it the lack of operating <coughs> system? So the, the thing is indeed that it is a bit simplified because um, you will actually leverage the underlying operating system, right? Uh, and and the main thing there is, uh, I would say at scale, it's broadly a Linux-based kernel mm -hmm. that we leverage mm -hmm. for that. Um, so that your container does not include the operating system, so yeah. it makes it small, yeah. right? Uh, especially when you run that at scale, if you have now thousands of tens of thousands of containers, if you can spare 
like the thousands copies of your Linux kernel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, from mm-hmm. a storage point of view, you do some saving, yeah. but also as the size is smaller, it gets easier to you know uh, provision to scale because whenever you run one, you kind of copy that zip file, right? Mm-hmm. If it can be 100 megs instead of 10 gig or 100 gig, obviously it's, it's going to uh, improve. As well, the operating system is already running. So what you do is actually start a process, not boot an OS. Yeah. Mm. So the, the startup time mm. is Very pretty quick. fast. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and that's probably then where the term microservices comes from? That uh, <coughs> no. Okay. <laughs> that, that's uh, uh, another uh, topic that's kind of the how you architect your application, okay. right? Which is yet another discussion. Okay, good. <laughs> Let's circle back then to the challenges that, uh, that they bring. So, so the... the or maybe the challenges that we had, yeah, and then the advantages that they bring. So might be yeah, even better. Might yeah. be a better. But what what was wrong with the with the model before? Yeah. So uh, the three tier model that I remember. What they was, it, was it wrong layer. to start with? Yeah. Um, I, I think that there is. It would be wrong to say it was wrong, right? Basically, uh, you know, IT professional just did with what they had to work with, right? And um, basically, (coughs) if you see that every single server has been built, right? You had to deploy your operating system and then for your application, you had very hefty frameworks potentially that you had to deploy and configure. And um, there is a lot of capabilities that we have nowadays that we can summarize with the concept like infrastructure as code, mm-hmm. right? And and automation and being API driven. Back in the days, deploying an app stack or whatever, you had that big book with you know the process with all the step, and there was no automation whatsoever. You had to actually manually you know execute all the things. And then we started, you know, with scripting stuff and then configuration management and improved. And so you could automate a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Still, if you look even today at enterprise customers, what does the process look like to deploy an application being in a test environment, acceptance environment, production environment? You will see that it's a very controlled process that is very much driven by ETL approach. You have to open a ticket, mm-hmm. ask mm-hmm. someone else to do that for you. And they will follow a procedure that mm-hmm. has been defined and designed maybe a few years ago and that is like the standard that they mm-hmm. leverage today is it then speed speed and agility that is the biggest driver behind the container it's movement? it's uh, or, or, consistency or it, and speed yes yeah. or is it a reaction to that what you just described um as, as a step back from waiting for that infrastructure and then trying to do it yourself because you said i can run my application my portable I can develop on my portable. I don't need to wait for whatever kind of infrastructure. Is, is that <coughs> part the, of it? There is, the, the, there is part of that. There is basically, it's a question of uh, pressure that you get, right? From, from the business, right? Like being very high level. Uh, you're in a competitive market. You want to bring new product or new services to the market. This will be made possible through software, 
Mm. You will create a new website, a mobile app. You will offer a new product through your website. You're going to open an e-commerce section, in whatever. The business then goes to, I would say, developer side. Like, you know, this is what I want. Like, I want this mobile app. It must be look like this. I must have a blue button there, a red button there, and stuff like that. So development gets all these requests. And obviously, they, they are under pressure from the business to deliver that application. Right, or the new capability. And so their goal is definitely to go through that list of requirements as fast as possible. The fastest that you go through that and you make it available, the fastest that you start to you know, deliver on the business side, maybe generate Bus- revenue. Yeah. Business yeah. value. Yeah. And, and then your business customers, like your real customers, will, you know, hopefully then appreciate the product and the service and so forth. Mm-hmm. So uh, customer satisfaction goes up. How, how much of that do you see in, in our local market as a factor? Mm-hmm. Developing by the speed of business, uh, I mean. So that that, that is the uh, long-standing struggle that you have to deliver on the, on the request and the demands. And then on the other side, it needs to also be running well, right, and secured and so forth. Uh, and, and that is why uh, a long time ago, actually like 10 years ago, <laughs> started those discussions around DevOps, right? Mm-hmm. And by the way, small plug, DevOps Day is taking place end of October in Ghent, 10th anniversary. I'll be there. <laughs> Let, let's make so, sure the podcast launches <laughs> before that. Uh, <laughs> end of October. And, <coughs> and the thing is, that discussion is like more than 10 years old now. Mm-hmm. Still today, you see developers being frustrated by the process that they have to go through to put software in production. Mm. And the thing is, let's be clear, software is written mainly by human beings. So they will make mistakes. And these mistakes will need to be fixed at some point. Mm -hmm. So next to the nice features, you also have all the bug fix that needs to be taken care of. And once you run into a bug, like we know, I mean, our company, we write software. We sell software. Mm-hmm. There are yeah. some bugs in that software as well. <laughs> and no. whenever whenever a customer runs into such a bug, opens a support request, goes into support, gets escalated to engineering, and then engineering says, oops, it's a bug. <laughs> mm-hmm. We need to fix that. And then they will potentially issue a patch. How quickly can you make that patch available? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got a fundamental bug that impacts production and you say, well, Mr. Customer, I've got a good news for you. You are in the process of getting that patch into the next recycle, which is like next six months. The customer will not be happy. Right? Uh, t- typically, when you're allowed to name the bug, you're the first one <laughs> that found the bug and that's not a good sign. Huh? Well, you know, it's going to take some time before you get a fix, right? But actually, I I think that's a good bridge because you mentioned that uh, containers is coming out of that reflex of waiting for infrastructure and the fact that you can develop at the speed of business and react to writing a patch as fast as possible was a good was a good example. And I think here the bridge that we're looking for is especially what we're doing is how do we now operationalize that? How do we potentially secure that and, and bring this kind of stuff at scale? Uh, mm. And it and, and the, the thing is um, that that struggle right from, from the dev team to deliver on the features and, and being confronted by processes that 
blocks them from achieving the agility that they want has been at the source for something that we know for quite some time called shadow IT, mm-hmm. right? Because you impact me in my work and I get pressure to deliver on that. So if I'll you do not way. help me, yeah. I will find another way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and uh, with the advent of cloud, uh, that made it very easy because that's actually an API-driven world. Mm-hmm. And if there is one thing that developers know how to interact with is APIs. Mm-hmm. So instead of interacting with a ticketing system, I can interact with an API. <coughs> I don't care about the cost. Right. I, I like that interface better. <coughs> um, so um, container is just one tool in toolbox to achieve agility for a developer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and not everything will fit in a container. Sure. Even though some people will try to put everything. Do you have contain. an example of what wouldn't fit? Well, you can fit anything in there, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in your opinion, then, what wouldn't fit? Well, um, the concept of container is very much linked to the concept of cloud-native applications and the, mm-hmm. the knowledge of 12-factor uh, apps. And basically, like ideally, your container should be like one function, one capability, yeah. uh, ideally stateless. Trying to run Oracle database in a container mm-hmm. might not be the greatest ID mm-hmm. for production. Uh, though, if you want, those images are made available by Oracle. You can just Docker run Oracle database. So, what's your point of view then on a lot of vendors out there embracing uh, container technology, but bringing their traditional appliances that used to be a virtual machine now in a container. I, 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 from my point of view, I don't really see a lot of difference uh, because it's multiple services now stacked within one container. What's the difference there? So definitely it should not be multiple services within exactly. one container. Yeah, exactly. right? yeah. that, that is kind of anti-pattern. Yeah. Um, and, and this is where obviously you've got this, this transition towards microservices. Well, if that container does only one function or one capability, like one service, my application does not consist of only that one. So I need multiple of them. So that's why you've got these microservices or every service, tiny function, and then you need combine multiple of them and that becomes your application. A metaphor for that is, is a human being. You constitute of cells, Mm -hmm. Uh right? It's the <coughs> amount, is the collection of all the cells that makes you Frederick or Stan. Uh-huh. But actually, if you were to look at the specific cells of your skin, of your finger, that's not the same cell mm. as when you were born, right? That just got replaced and, and mm. modified over time mm. and aging and falling apart at some point. <laughs> um, <coughs> but the thing is, losing a few cells does not make you not the same human being anymore, right? Uh, same thing with the containers, microservices, you will see those containers evolve, transition over time, and then you can kill some of those containers, replace them by other containers. Your application ideally will still survive and mm-hmm. evolve, right? And, and that is an interesting evolution. That's also an interesting dynamic that most enterprise customers have a hard time coping with today. In the past, you deployed a server. Okay. Part of deploying that server was taking a server or virtual machine, putting an operating system, deploying them, and it would get an IP address that such that you can address it. By the process, ticketing process and so forth, 
getting that server up and running would take like a few months, a few weeks, or a few hours with automation. But then it would be up and running and stay running for quite some time. Containers tend to spin up in a few seconds, disappear in a few seconds, and they all get an IP address. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do you update your CMDB with all the IP address? Uh, how do you track that? How do you monitor that? How do you get the networking guy not to get completely Freak bonkers <laughs> because he cannot keep his IP tables up to date or whatever, right? So there's definitely, uh, uh, um, you know, new methodologies, new way of working, uh, automation across the entire infrastructure stack because mm -hmm. it's, don't try to manage that manually. It's and just impossible. Is that then the main reason people should look at VMware to bring that level of, of professionality? So you can run that anywhere. You can run it on your laptop. You can run that on Raspberry Pis. You can run that on cloud. Obviously, if for some reason you want to run that in your data center, let's be clear, the one common platform that you have in almost every single data center is VMware. Mm -hmm. VMware has the technology and the ability to provide you with platform automation tooling that allows you to productize those platforms run those containers at scale and keep control. So is VMware the only way of doing that? Definitely not. Is it a good way of doing it? Yes. And um, we've had this discussions about, you know, private cloud, hybrid cloud, mm -hmm. multi-cloud, and everyone agrees that with a few Unicorn exceptions, no one is going to run 100% on cloud. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Same thing as, I, will you be able to run 100% on-prem? Again, with a few exceptions, eh, probably not. So, in the same parallel, no one will run solely 100% based on container okay. or Kubernetes or whatever. There will be still a mix, and definitely my recommendation uh, for, for enterprise customer nowadays is like, if you just get started with containers world, Kubernetes world and so forth, start at the edge, you know, the easy part is like customer facing stuff, like website, mobile apps, API stuff. And then as you grow into maturity and you, you restart really to master all these new toys, that's why you slowly and gradually go more like backend, mm -hmm. right? So if if you start with that technology, you start with you know web services, uh, JavaScript apps, front end apps. Don't try to put your database in the container first. Like that's the last thing you do. Um, there is fundamental difference in the way you operate those platform, in the way you uh, handle resiliency, mm -hmm. which should be more application-based and infrastructure-based. Yeah, it shifts towards the application. Yeah. And that is something that a lot of ops teams struggle with, but also the dev team, because until now, they were never responsible for operating the platform. And when it's downtime, well, opens a ticket and, and the ops team will take care of that. Mm -hmm. There is this 
new approach? Well, from a dev side, you wrote that service. You operate that service. Yeah. So as you wrote it and made it in production, you get a pager that goes with it. So if it goes on, you get the call, not the ops guy, unless the issue is related to the underlying platform yeah. and then it is responsibility. Developers are not necessarily trained to do that or think that way because they never had to operate. So all the concepts of disaster recovery and so forth, these are new issues that I have to look into. Mm-hmm. And that is why you've got these new approaches, new process like chaos engineering, mm-hmm. right? Uh, stress testing your environment and your application to see how resilient it is to whatever issues could happen. And it's easy to shift that responsibility to dev and say, well, as an ops guy, I'm off the hook now. I can go on holiday and barbecue every every time I want. Uh, it's not an easy transition. And let's be honest, let's look at how operation team has done it in the past. A lot of our customers have multiple data centers, like mm-hmm. two data centers, right? And they have replication in place there, and they have disaster recovery processes in there, right? When is the last time that you exercised mm. that procedure to validate if it's working or not. The fire drill. <coughs> Every three weeks. Yeah. <coughs> well, <laughs> well um, in, in the paper it says. Uh, and then what you get is, well, we tried it when we deployed it and mm. then we couldn't try it anymore because business would not allow us because mm. that induced downtime. Okay. And then, oh yes, we do it every year, but only on subset of applications. And, and now you just put the responsibility at the developer's side to make it like bulletproof and should be able to switch off a data center anytime and it should be completely transparent. Can it be done? Yes. Is it going to be a learning curve for the dev and upside? Definitely yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And and the stateless approach is a good first step. And once you get into the data layer, that's where it gets really interesting. And that is where there are some fundamentals that need to be revisited. And one of the main issue there is uh, old habits. We've always worked it this way. Mm. We've always mm. done it this yeah. way. And by the way, in our company, and this is like a struggle for, for a lot of developers, is, is the lack of freedom. Uh, it is always a surprise for me, looking into end-user computing, how many developers still have no local admin rights such that they are not allowed to install software on their laptop? It's a security issue. It is a security issue and uh, we all agree that developers should not be trusted with whatsoever. But actually those guys have written the code that you're in production, right? Mm. (laughs) Should they be trusted with code as well, Mm. right? Because that's another security issue. Um, And so looking into like getting your feet wet with containers. Well, the first step is install a local local Docker desktop Mm. engine, which allows you to run Docker locally and play with stuff. That's, sorry to interrupt you, but that's what I see at a lot of our customers. Container or the productization of containers starts somewhere at one developer or group developer, Mm -hmm. then is growing. At a certain point in time, IT, overall IT needs to standardize Mm -hmm. so imagine i'm a customer and i'm talking to vmware what should i be looking at what is there is there let's for instance say a a, a blog or a book or 
something that can help me understand how VMware can help me standardize the way I do containers in my data center or across data centers? So uh, a first step first is, are you using containers today, right? Mm. Or are, are your developers uh, using containers? Uh, and it's a good question to ask. And it's funny to ask because if you ask the ops team, probably they will say, no, mm. we don't. And then you ask them, by the way, how many requests did you get for like pretty large Linux VMs? Right. Oh, yeah, know. we've got this. Yeah. Well, you're uh, using containers. Yeah. Uh, potentially, they might run a lot of containers in yeah. there. Just you don't know about it. Um, and so the, the, there is a learning curve. And um, what we are looking at with, with containers, container platforms is actually uh, abstraction layers. Right. And so the, the, the first one being the container itself. And that's why we're going to refer to Docker APIs and stuff like that, because that's the first level of, of abstraction. And then getting to learn about basic containers is a good thing. Like, how do you build a container? How do you create mm -hmm. that? What is a Docker file? Mm -hmm. And another key element, I believe that the ops team should start to learn and get acquainted to is some of the developer Lingo. Tooling yeah. and lingo. Yeah. Uh, lingo, okay, but definitely the tooling. Mm -hmm. Because we've got this concept that pops up more and more called infrastructure as code. Mm -hmm. So they're actually handling infrastructure through code. Mm -hmm. As it is code, you will apply the same practices as developers because you will have ideally a centralized repository where your code resides with version control. And that's why you get into contact with like Git. Mm -hmm. What are those three letters, right? How the, and, and then you get into the concept of branching and merging and, and pull request. And for most operation people is that like Chinese. And for developers, like that's a basic one, yeah. right? And, and those are practices that you get to learn. And then the API abstractions and, and um, Pretty quickly, you okay. The, the container API allows you to build a little container and run a little container, and then they start to multiply like mushroom on a rainy day. Mm. And that's where you get into the this scale issue. Like, how do you handle that at scale? How do you handle resiliency of those containers? How do you schedule running those? And that's where you step into like so now we need a scheduler orchestrator for containers and the good thing is we are at that stage where there used to be a lot of options on the market and now the market has spoken at least for the moment that the standard would be kubernetes okay hmm. so before stepping into kubernetes try to learn the basics of containers there is more than enough introduction tutorial container 101 on the web sure right and and it depends on people right the affinity with coding like writing text files mm -hmm. working with text editor and i'm not talking about word or notepad that's yeah, not a good choice uh, vi or nano or <laughs> vi nano. Yeah. well um get to get a decent like ID mm. or uh, like a decent like 
code-oriented text editor, and there are several. Uh, a, a one that is very successful cross-platform is something from Microsoft called Visual Studio. It's free, uh, but then you've got Atom, you've got Sublime Text, and then you've got more like developer-oriented, like IntelliJ ID and others. There's plenty of choices, but definitely something that knows that the stuff that you write is actually code, code yeah. between quotes, well. yeah. right? And so it, it knows wh whether it's a bash script, mm. and then it will then highlight mm. the scripting elements and your syntax errors, like this is not valid bash mm. stuff that you wrote. Um, there's another one that you will get to learn, <clears throat> which everyone agrees is not the greatest one, uh, but it's a standard one, it's called YAML, mm -hmm. yet yeah. another markup language. Yeah, I love that name. Uh, which is interesting because if you just missed one indentation, the whole thing goes snafu. Yeah, sounds like Python. Uh, well, I would argue that Python is not as sensible to identation as, as YAML, uh, but somewhat, mm. right? Um, and then you can lose hours troubleshooting something that actually is an extra space somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> which is like crazy. Hence a good... Um, editor that understand rules of proper YAML kind yeah. of help you a lot, right? Sure. Uh, but um, in the concept of automation, um, there's some other concept that people will need to learn is like the concept of CI/CD, continuous integration, continuous deployment, where you actually automate, right? I've written some code, I've committed to my code repository, and then there's some process that will then pick it up, say, oh, there's a new version, and then we'll make it go through validation, building code, testing code, like unit testing and so forth, right? And as it goes through the gates of, you know, step one, step two validation, it will then get potentially promoted from dev to test to acceptance to production, potentially without a single human interaction. Okay. Right? These are practices that even the dev side struggle with. Like an end-to-end pipeline, mm. you will not see that a lot at customers. Mm -hmm. Typically, they all have a CI tool, Jenkins, Bamboo, those kind of stuff, but they only leverage it for like the first part, like the, the compiling stuff and, and the unit testing. Mm. But then it gets handed over to another team that does the deployment or the integration testing or so forth, right? We still very much silo-based, silo right? Yeah. And so you hand over to another team and that goes through a ticketing system and so forth, right? Which is... Then you have the same story like before. Yes. <laughs> uh, which impacts then, again, your speed to deployment. Mm. Uh, there, there is a lot of... There, there is some elements of technology, like always, like Docker is an enabler, container enabler, and Kubernetes is a technology enabler. Um, people and process... Is a real struggle like you don't trust the developers to put something in production today would you trust them to write the pipeline to put the code in production uh, okay but then who is to trust for that uh, pipeline ch chicken and the egg uh, yeah. yeah and and it's 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 that is transformation on how you interact and back to you know devops and and those kind of practices um yes it's uh interesting world to dive into um, 
what can be frightening is it is a very, very, very dynamic world. Mm-hmm. A lot of things changes on a weekly basis. <laughs> and then something that you've done a few months back can be done in a slightly different way of a slightly new tool that does it a bit better. And, and then you have to review stuff or change stuff, right? Uh, most customers do not have the, the culture or the mindset to adapt that quickly. Still today, customers have this mindset of if it ain't broken, don't fix it, mm-hmm. yeah. which is wrong. If you do not maintain your platform, at some point in time, you will run into bigger issues. Example, real customer use case. Uh, they were running on VMware platform on vSAN, right? Um, and they ran into some bug, firmware issue at the network card, and one node just went Yahoo. You know, node goes down. In a cluster, VMware says, that's fine, firmware HA, vSAN fill over, failure to tolerate, blah, blah, blah. Open support request with the vendor. Oh yeah, that's a known issue, firmware issue, let's fix that, flash. All is fine from a vSphere layer. Problem solved. Mm-hmm. Everything has been running as expected, fill over of the node. So <coughs> no issue there. Issue was that the customer on top of that was running Kubernetes. No problem there as well, because there is that mechanism. Well, if a node goes down, the pod will then get respawned onto mm. another worker node. Except that it was not a stateless app. Mm-hmm. It was a stateful app with a persistent volume. So in the backend, something, uh, something got broken. And the thing is, uh, for that pod to restart with that persistent volume, you need to kind of claim that volume. Mm-hmm. And to claim it, you need to get rid of the lock that's yeah. on it. And the lock did not get released. Mm-hmm. Oops. And then you, you search deeper and deeper, and then uh, you end up with, well, that customer was running uh, vSphere Cloud Provider, so integration of Kubernetes into vSphere for uh, infrastructure as code and everything. But they were running a version of Kubernetes that was like four releases old. Uh, Kubernetes does something like two releases a year, roughly. Mm-hmm. Two years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is not that old, right? Mm-hmm. Two years old is not that old. But four releases old, uh, the Kubernetes community, right, will happily help you and support you with any issues that you have with Kubernetes elements up to two releases old, like N minus two. Yeah. Right? So, so, like, even the community will say, well, you're four Upgrade. releases behind upgrade hmm. before we start to help you full stop and um, I've done personally uh, several proof concept and deployment at customers and I remember one customer I did a lengthy POC and over the period of six months we did like five six seven upgrades like patch upgrades tiny hmm. upgrades here and there uh, because of you know issues in the Kubernetes layer or issues in the analytics layer or whatever. No and way. Uh, and, and they were like, yes, this is a known <coughs> problem and we redesigned <coughs> it and we fixed it in 
this battery. So please upgrade, please it, upgrade, please it, upgrade. It, is that what's keeping a lot of enterprises perhaps still away from containers? The how should I say the open source nature of of the of the thing? The the, the lot of a lot of plates you need to keep spinning a lot of patching right. is involved or maybe the fear of <coughs> patching and operational work on that so part it's, or it's, or it's, or a, it's or operations that need to change as well it's it's not it's not just keep doing what you're doing because exactly. the operations yeah. in the backend need to change that, that's understood but let's turn that around and let's discuss how can vmware make that entire concept of keeping those plates up and uh, up and spinning easier perhaps for the customer or and or um if I'm a customer and I want to embrace containerization, what is there to be used? What, what, what should I be looking at? So, <clears throat> a thing is, whenever you go like seriously into those platform, um, into enterprise world, there are some expectations about uh, stability, performance, supportability of the platform. And um, you will see that Platforms like Kubernetes, it's a pretty complex monster. Okay. Right? You have to learn to ride the monster, the dragon, right? And you, you just <laughs> said to our customers to do drugs, uh, ride the dragon. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> a euphemism, but please uh, go ahead. Yeah. That you know the, the term. Okay, no problem. Yeah, chase, chase the dragon. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> learn to master the beast. I would say that. Try it. Whatever. Deploying Kubernetes is, if you've never done that, and you can do it the hard way, uh, it's an interesting experience. Might be a bit frightening in the beginning. Nowadays, there are solutions to make it easy to deploy, or easier to deploy, right? Um, another challenge that you will see is, okay, now it's there, it's up and running, maintaining it like what we call day two operations mm. patching it upgrading it right um and again that that is a uh, a focus by itself it's it, it can be daunting uh that is why from vmware we bring solutions to the markets mm -hmm. uh, and then we've got this portfolio that we call pks vmware pks which is just a a platform for bringing kubernetes as a service okay to make it relatively easy to spawn kubernetes cluster to configure them to your needs and then to maintain them right i did mention the concept of cicd pipeline mm -hmm. that customer already struggled with at code level actually uh, this is things that we can do up down to the platform level. Uh, that this is work that we've done with our uh, sister company with uh, Pivotal. Yes. Right, and and Pivotal is very much API driven. Uh, as you you download bits from Pivotal network, Pivnet, uh, you get an account. That account gets API tokens. Mm -hmm. You can just take that token and leverage that to. API download everything. And so you can then build a pipeline that kind of monitors the PIVNet network for new updates and new stem cells. And whenever there is a new release, which is like on a weekly basis for something, some part of the platform, it would then download it for you 
and then you can start that process while well, deployed in my test or dev environment or lab environment to validate that it works well and then start into the concept of canary testing which is again like concept and, and blue green deployment those are things that are done at in a like cloud native way of operating your application that allows you to patch and upgrade your application without downtime for the users and also to test whether something that you applied works or not and if mm. it does not work you just you know remove it and just roll back and transparently for mm. your users those are things that we can do at platform level that's great uh, that's are, great not a lot of customers are ready for that perhaps. are ready yeah. for that so are, that's a bit to my point earlier so are, are you now saying that um, well, well, you discussed uh, not, not the risk but the potential overhead it might bring when you start embracing containers um, you, you mentioned coding is in there uh, a form of automation is needed a pipeline is required uh, some patching is involved are you now saying that by uh, discussing your project with VMware we have a ready-to-go solution that mm. you should not be worried about all that and you can just start developing based on that platform is, is that a good summary or? so so that is a very simplified answer I'm yes very, i'm very simple right, so 101 that's so that's okay that's <laughs> fine uh, of course let's be clear uh, as uh, if i switch hat and i say more like a consultant it's always like it depends because obviously every single customers will want to integrate that in their environment and let's say that we facilitate a lot mm-hmm. one of the elements that to me uh was very interesting to look at and and at some point i, I had like a oh shit moment is the impact of networking. So from my I wonder why. <laughs> from my background, my personal background, I've I've worked in IT for quite some time uh, now. <laughs> don't men- don't mention the, the yes. <laughs> we're all we're all old. Let's yeah. get past so, that. So yeah. I, I always find it funny to mention that I started in the previous century. <laughs> I, I think we all did. So. I didn't. I, I didn't. didn't. Sorry. Let let the old folks talk. <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing is, I always focus on things like um, servers and operating system and databases mm. and and storage and networking was to me that little thing that I could happily you know pass over to someone else because I tried. And I got some CCNA training given yeah. remotely by some guy lost in Arizona or something. And after that week of training, I was like, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. Skip that. So I left it on the side. I know the basics of, you know, layer two, layer three, mm-hmm. and DNS and NTP. Those are like fundamental elements that everyone should know. But agree. give me a Cisco switch, ask me to do CLI configuration of that thing. And I'm like, who is the guy that came up with this way of programming stuff is like tortured mind or something so i skipped that all of that the thing is in the world of cloud native applications container kubernetes platform and microservices networking is central in all of that Mm -hmm. it is something that you cannot skip over you can cannot put it on the side it is central and when we see when I see the struggle of a lot of customers where they've got siloed organization and the networking team is a completely separate team, potentially on a separate floor, 
with a separate coffee machine if we can put them in a separate building and don't talk to them, right? Uh, that is a struggle. Uh, a lot of customers will say, well, you know, provisioning a server is a five-minute job. Like, deploy from template, click, 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 done. But then getting an IP for that server or getting a firewall port open for that server yeah, is a real struggle. It doesn't make sense. Eh? It, it doesn't make sense that you embrace containers to be able to develop at the speed of business and then need to wait, need to wait two weeks for a VLAN. That hmm. makes no sense at all. And, and you should not have to care about the VLAN. Exactly. Right? And that is where I'm very happy with the solution that we have, where we've got an API-driven networking layer through NSXD that integrates directly up to the container in, in the PKS platforms. And that makes it that deploying an app, getting IPs for that, getting a load balancer in front of that, uh, getting ingress controller. And so it's like handled in an automated API way. way. Yeah. Right. With the added benefit that we now can bring also security between containers, because I, I'd, I'd love to see a physical firewall try that when your IP addresses are <laughs> volatile, ephemeral. Uh, mm -hmm. If they get spin up and five seconds later it's gone, your physical firewall barely has seen that. I would say that the security aspect in all the interactions that I've seen now with customers is something that pops up at the end right that breaks my heart um, the main struggle the first thing that they want to resolve is agility mm. Mm. and if we can make it in a secure way cherry on the cake the struggle that a lot of customers run into until now is because of security agility was down the drain yeah, yeah. right and now it goes hand in hand. And now you, we can make it go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Still, as as it's very interesting to have conversation and like a workshop with the customer, and you get to get the ops team and the dev team in the same room around the same table, which seems to not happen a lot at customers. I don't know why, because uh, I've had conversation. Like, Is that the first time that you met? <laughs> um, so that one is already an interesting exercise. Mm. Getting the security team around the same table. <laughs> it's mm. another interesting exercise. It's always difficult, right? <laughs> well, the, the thing is, like, um, you will get because, like, do we really need them around the table now? Can't we just start yes. first and uh, they're, they're ask wait. later? Yeah. <laughs> they're, right? they're, they're always seen as Dr. No, right? Always no, 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 no. They're, they're, they're the ones blocking. Well, most of the times they're the ones blocking. If, if I had the conversations when I was uh, working a previous employer, every single time it was networking security that was blocking progress in... in, in uh, and I, and I, depends. I, huh? I know where it's coming from, um, but I vastly disagree. For the simple reason that if you do security properly, it becomes an enabler. Because sure. now you can do something and rest assured that whatever it is you're doing, it's properly secured, the channels are encrypted, whatever mm. might be the level of security you want. And that's just another way of, of looking at it. So I'm a big fan of involving the security team from the get-go, especially when it comes to containers. Because yeah. one mistake you can make when you embrace containers is start doing it in a dark corner of your data center under, under the stairs uh, somewhere in, in yet another silo. Yet another silo. That's yes, then. Uh, <laughs> um, 
and don't get the entire networking team, a security team, a storage team, mm. perhaps even end user computing, because there needs to be a way to access those containers in, in, in the end. We'll get, we'll come back to that. Um, so yeah, big fan to get the entire, all the responsibilities around the same table. But I, I, let's be honest here, that's the challenge because mm. I, I think I just mentioned it. The, the 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 fact that you start looking at container doesn't start from a business it starts from the developers typically yeah. and it it tends to grow from under that stairs and then the the, the, the click or the challenge is let's now talk production let's mm. now talk scale and resiliency and security and get all those people together does is is our technology and you mentioned uh, a few of those titles um a potential glue to get those teams together in one room or is is how, how do you see that uh, i would say it's many um working with people um as in our in our role uh, as pre-sales we have to go to the customer and and listen to their issue they face mm -hmm. and try to come up with a solution to that to build that solution we need to then interact with the different entities that are either impacted by the issue or potentially generating the issue mm. internally, mm. right? And and try to be the mediator. Uh, so, so we become the clue. The, yeah. the facilitator. Yeah. We don't become the clue, but we initiate some of those conversations. Sure, sure. And then we introduce technology that will make it possible. Sure. Uh, a, a thing is definitely in the world of cloud native and containers and so forth. We bring a lot of technology to the table. We do not provide 100% of it. Uh -huh. There are elements that you will need to get from third parties. Like, if you want to do centralized code repository, okay. that is not something that we mm -hmm. provide. Like, I mentioned Git as a tool, but that's why you've got, you know, the public one being GitHub, and then you've got the commercial one being GitLab, but then you also have Bitbucket, and you've got Azure DevOps, and you've got plenty of choices there as to, okay, where, or which, tech, like, vendor or technology are you going to leverage to do code repository centrally? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. That will be either hosted on cloud or on-prem on a VM or a set of VM in a cluster, whatever. That is not something that we provide. Okay, right. but we do provide a place to host it. We definitely provide infrastructure solutions, like compute through API mm -hmm. with uh -huh. the vSphere layer. We provide storage through API mm -hmm. with you know all the storage API and the vSAN capabilities. Mm -hmm. We provide networking through API with NSXT, and then you know layer seven load balancer with AVI networks mm -hmm. and so forth and so forth. Uh, then we have automation layers. We've got uh, infrastructure code that will then provision you Kubernetes layers on demand, integrated with networking and storage and so forth. We provide you with uh, enterprise registry for storing your container images. Mm -hmm. We provide you with Helm Museum to store your Helm charts and stuff like that. Uh, still, it, it's a very dynamic world. And then we've got monitoring platforms and so forth yeah. and so forth. So we go, today, we go very far. And most of our customers are not aware of the extent of capabilities that we have to offer. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so it's our job to, to tell them. One, one, one last question, perhaps. Um, is there, is there a, a link? Because we're all 
representing different business units here uh, around uh, the, the table. You've mentioned infrastructure, you mentioned storage. I think it's a clear link with mm. uh, with, with how containers are being provisioned in our on our platforms. You mentioned networking and security. I'm a big fan already. How does it relate to end user computing? What's what's the link there? And I'm sure there is. So uh, I would say that end user computing solutions that we have might answer that tricky question of allowing developers to run code locally. Yeah, like exactly. how can I get Docker running on exactly. my laptop or, or some of the other tooling? But I would say that that's the extent to where it goes because it's mainly like coding and data center cloud focused platform. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have a lot of um, integration and capabilities from our management mm -hmm. BU, mm -hmm. right? Um, on the end user computing, I would say once once the app is running and it's available as software as a service, then you can potentially do SSO yeah. integration. But what what we see there is. Um, the first point, of course, uh, that developers have access to a certain platform on our side, VDI, where they can install certain things and that we have control on that thing. And the second is more like it's a discussion opener uh, because we see a lot of organizations with a traditional stack of applications. They You see devices popping up that are more modern, like mm -hmm. yeah, tablets and so sure. on. So how do you bridge that gap? There are two uh, two ways or you virtualize your applications on one side or you modernize your applications on the other side so that modernization that's the open discussion that you can have and then I bring Eric because there were a lot of new things that he told me today uh, to open that discussion and that's maybe the link that we can do with it perfect. Uh, in, in the end it's about um, the application as you mentioned in your in, in your introduction and then the user computing is, in, in, in my opinion, in my limited uh, knowledge about uh, the, the platform, accessing those those yeah. applications. So it's, as you mentioned about, I believe, control and, and security, be, being able to give that level of access to your developers wherever they might be on yeah. whatever device they, they might use. As you, I, I think that's the link. If, that's if the link indeed. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. One closing thought, Eric. If I want to, we're now uh, all excited, almost jumping around the table and, uh, and, and we want to start with containers. Where, where should I start? I know there are some books, um, there are some blogs, there are some podcasts, maybe there's some YouTube videos, whatever. Where do, w w what's the, the single thing people should read or listen to or whatever before they start with, uh, with containers? And it's the single thing. <laughs> Just, so, just one. <laughs> so the single thing is uh, Google. <laughs> Read Google. <laughs> All right, <Yeah>. check. Yeah. <laughs> Google it. So I, I had a, 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 a like three hours workshop like last yeah, week or the week before ago, with yeah. developers, and and the, like the takeaways and and uh, you know I had a like a huge list of URLs of things you know where you go to mm. you know, install Docker and and stuff like that. But basically, the, the shortcut was yeah, just Google it, mm, right? Uh -huh. And you'll have plenty of stuff. From the VMware side, uh, definitely we, we see a lot of focus to evangelize and to bring knowledge to the VMware community on, on those topics. And there are several initiatives that are interesting to look at. One, for example, is uh, Kubernetes.academy, which is a website where you can get free training on like, Container 101, Kubernetes 101, and so forth. 
Uh, I would argue that it is container 101 and Kubernetes 101 given by Kubernetes experts. So their definition of 101 might not be <laughs> our definition of 101. Right? So that is a good reference next to Google because some of the things that they will mention or refer to, um, some people might struggle with it and need to further dive sure. deeper into the one-on-one sure. level sure. before going to the next level. So, so from what you just said, I remember um, a good place to start is follow a workshop hosted by Eric. And then, uh, you, get, and that, then you get URLs. That, that's my takeaway from that. Then you get all the URLs and you don't need to Google yourself. Also, Eric, um, if people want to get in touch with you, do you have like a, a Twitter handle you want to, to share? <laughs> there <Or> is one. <laughs> if, if people really want to get in touch with me, uh, it's a simple one. It's just four letters. It's V-E-D-W. V-E-D-W, sure. Right. Uh, that's an easy one. Uh, and uh, I'm uh, taking part, uh, being at, at meetups and uh, definitely at the VMware user groups and, and giving sessions left and right. Um, the thing is that I would say is getting to dive into that new world is very much like learning a new foreign language. Mm. Uh -huh. If you are to start to learn Japanese, but you have got no use case for it, you're going to spend hours and days and weeks for nothing. Sure. Yeah. That's how I also got into that is to get to, to get to understand the challenges and the struggles that developers have to go through to put code in production, well, I have to write code. Mm. Yeah, and to write code right. and put it in production, I need to find a use case, an app, whatever, that is also meaningful, that, that is not writing code for the sake of writing code, but it's actually yeah. something applicable. Yeah. And that's what I did. And then I run into like, now I've got this code in the repository, I need to build my pipeline and I need to connect that pipeline mm. to Kubernetes cluster. One, one thing follows the, the other, but mm. yeah. a meaningful use case is perhaps a very and, good starting and, point. Yeah. Yeah. And you will find different needs and use case of interest depending on the people. Sure. Right? Sure. Um, so uh, there's an additional little side note is uh, we will see more and more ISV provision their software under the form of containers. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So even if you do not develop internally today, so you're not faced with all these challenges, I've, I've got no developers. Yeah, you still uh, need a platform. Uh, you don't need it today, mm -hmm. necessarily. But tomorrow, mm. probably you sure. will. Sure. Okay. okay, good. Okay, all right, cool. So thank you very much, Eric, for uh, your... Uh, well, let's call it a 101, but it's a, it's, a, it's it's one hour of 101, which is good. Um, Sorry. There's no, no worries. Um, that's a, exactly the question, so that's okay. It's okay. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, guys, for being part of the of the podcast. And uh, Eric, definitely there will be a 201, 301. We'll, we'll, we'll invite you again. So, uh, we'll thank make you, it happen. Thank, thank you very much, and uh, talk to you soon. See you soon. Listen to you soon, whatever. So uh, see you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.